We are starting a new series today going through the Gospel of Luke, and this is going to take us pretty much the majority of the year, and Luke is the longest gospel in the Bible, so it could take us three years, but there's going to be some chunks that we kind of go through uh, quickly because I want to be able to look at the whole book in one year. But today we're just going to look at a small section, really just the beginning, and I want to pray for us, and then we will kick off our time. So Father, I ask that... Now you would open our hearts, you would open our minds to receive what you have for us. God, you know every person in this room. You know the excitement that people come in with as we have a new year. You know maybe the sadness people come in with as we have a new year, the struggles that we come in with. You know each of our hearts. You know each of our our lives. And so we ask you, God, to be present here with us now and allow us to know you and see you in more vivid ways than we have before. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we come into New Year's, there's kind of a, a mood of progress. It's, it's progress, love, not love is in the air, but progress is in the air, and excitement is in the air, and new beginnings is in the air. Not just, not just that we have a new year, but we have a new decade, that we're now in the 20s, which is exciting, that we have made it this far. We survived Y2K, we survived a lot of stuff, and we're here in the 20s. And there's kind of just a little bit of a, every New Year's, there's kind of some of the excitement of there's a new year, there's new beginnings. And so some of you maybe really think about New Year's resolutions. I know some of people don't like that, and so you'd say it's goals, or some people don't like that, you just deep clean your house, or, or other things. But there's still kind of this, this air of new beginnings. Let me just kind of share with you a, a few things from, from the, the internet, that, uh, the interwebs that maybe kind of identify with where you are, because these are just kind of some of the, you know, new, newness in the air. This says, my New Year's resolution is to have healthier thought patterns, because as of right now, someone can text me, okay, instead of okay, and I'll be in my head, assuming they hate me and are praying for my ultimate demise, Right? So maybe that's you. Maybe you are saying, I want kind of New Year's resolution. My, my New Year's resolution is to be a little more emotionally healthy. Or this is maybe some of your attitudes. I don't call them New Year's resolutions. I prefer the term casual promises to myself that I'm under no legal obligation to fulfill. Maybe that's kind of where you are, that you kind of feel a mood of progress, but it's like uh, kind of tentative, right? Not sure you want to really commit to things. Or maybe this is multitasking. This year I resolved to drink less and go to the gym. I made it to the gym. Maybe that's for some of you. Maybe that should be some of your New Year's resolutions. I don't know. Uh, and then this is my favorite. This says how I'm trying to be in 2020, thick and rich. And <laughs> just a syrup thing. I don't know how people come up with these things. But maybe, that's, maybe it's for you. It's just really simple. You just want to be thick and rich. And, you know, there you go. Or lastly, some of you maybe on the more cynical side are kind of like this. This is me listening to everyone's New Year's resolutions. And you're just like, ha, 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 whatever. That's not going to happen, right? Whatever the case, all the reasons that we kind of look at some of those funny things or in your own life, maybe you take it really seriously and really use it as an opportunity, is that there is a desire and kind of a sense of new beginnings, of being able to start fresh of change, of, of looking at things and saying, we want, here's what all this gets at, we want more in life. We want change. We don't want life to just be the same. None of us here would say, for the next 50 years or next 20 years or next 30 years or whatever it is, I just want everything to be the same. 
we want change. We want progress. We want things to be different. We want things to be better. And New Year's, whether, whether you're on the cynical side or you're on the, the this is going to be the year, this is going to be the one that changes everything, wherever you are on that spectrum, we still kind of feel in the air a sense of this is a new beginning. There's a chance to, a chance to restart. And, and instead of just thinking about the year, maybe think about for you what that is. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's just kind of your family life. Maybe you saw, you know, brothers and sisters or parents over the holidays and like, man, I really want this to be better. Or I don't want to see these people as much anymore. Or whatever it is, it, it was something that you might have felt, man, I want my family life to be better. I want my marriage. I want, I want this year to be the year that I've got kind of a better emotional health. Or, or a better work-life balance, or, or maybe for you it's faith. Maybe you say, this is the year I really want my faith to be better than it's been. I want my faith to be deeper than it's been. Maybe you kind of feel that. Some people think about that a lot. You want to be closer to God. You want, you want faith to make a bigger difference in your life. Some people don't think about faith at all. But here's kind of where we're going to go today. The key to your life. The key to a new beginning, the key to a new start, the key to kind of a fresh uh, take on life is faith. It is faith. Whether, whether we see that or you consciously know that or not, it is faith. That is, that is the key. A faith that affects every part of your life. When I'm talking about faith, I'm not talking about a faith that is just this, what we're doing here on Sunday but a faith that affects all the different areas of your life. A faith that affects your job, a faith that affects your parenting, a faith that affects your marriage, a faith that affects your emotional health, a faith that touches and affects all the different pieces of your life. See, the key to a new beginning or the key to a fresh start or the key to any of those things is faith. But listen, it's not just any kind of faith. It's a particular kind of faith. It's not just any kind of faith. Let me, let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. If, if I showed you this you know, little piece of clip art kind of thing from, from Google, and it shows you kind of all these different names of God that the Bible talks about. Now, I, I, don't, I know many of you in this room, some of you maybe are just coming back to church and wanting to explore faith again, or some of you maybe not sure what you believe. Others of you have been Christians for a long time. But, but if you're a Christian, you probably look at these things and nothing surprises you. You probably believe these things, that God is, I'm not going to read all these, but that God is provider, like, yeah, I, I believe that. That God is healer, yeah, okay. That God is peace, it's a, a thing that we pray for often, that God would give us peace. That God is a defender, that God is protector, that God is a master, he's the leader, kind of the authority in your life. That God is a shepherd, that God is a comforter. That God is a perfecter, he makes things better, that God is light, that God is strength. You probably look at those things, and this is what faith is, it's, it's our kind of belief and, and receiving of who God is. You probably look at those, and probably if you're a Christian, none of you would say, nah, that's, that's a bunch of crap. You probably look at that and say, yeah, I believe that. So you have faith. Even as you look at this screen, you look at this and you go, yeah, I believe that. So that is what faith is. And yet, what I'm saying is that a faith that's going to affect all your life, a faith that's going to give you a new beginning, a new start, has to be more than what we just did. It has to be more than you actually just saying, yeah, I agree with those things. 
You see, we all want, whether it's because of New Year's or maybe even just things that you look back on 2019, for whatever reason, we want new beginnings, fresh starts, more progress in life, things to be different, things to be better, change. We want that. And the key to it is faith, but not any kind of faith a particular kind of faith. And that really is what we're going to look at as we look at this book together, Luke. And this is really why this book is written. This book is written to give a new beginning. It's written to give a fresh start. The book of Luke was written around, no one knows exactly, but around the year AD 70, so a few decades, maybe four, three to four decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's written to a man named Theophilus. It's written to a man named Theophilus. We'll see that in the intro to this. But just like today, when a book is written and there's kind of a dedication in it, it doesn't mean they only wanted the person that it was dedicated to to read it. It's intended for a wider audience, which is why we still have it today, because it was intended for a wider group of people, and yet with one individual it addressed too, but knowing that the concerns of that individual are often the concerns of a wider group of people. And what Luke writes for, Luke writes for new beginnings, fresh starts. And so let's go ahead and look at this together, starting just with this question, which is, okay, so what's the kind of faith we need? If faith is the key, if faith is the secret, if, if, a, if there is a kind of faith that can affect every area of our life, what kind of faith do we need. And if you feel in your life, maybe even just as we're talking about it now, or maybe even before coming in here, if you feel that you want your faith to grow, if you feel that faith might be the key to your life and new beginnings, if we feel that, often we say, okay, I want my faith to grow. So what, what is that going to take? And we, we often think it's, it's one of two things. It could be a lot of things. But we often think that it means more knowing. Okay, I need to know. I need to learn more. So this is the year that I'm going to maybe read some more books or maybe read the Bible cover to cover or maybe I need to uh, take a class or something. I want, I want to know more. Or sometimes when we think about our faith growing, we think about I need to do more. I want my faith to be deeper, so I need to do more Things. And, and both those things can be good, but Luke gives us something different. Luke tells us that the kind of faith we need that will touch and affect every area of our life, the, the new beginning, the fresh start, the reason that he's writing the book, he gives us a different reason. Here's what he says. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. So a lot of people have tried to write these things down. Just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Here's what Luke says we need. Here's the kind of faith that Luke says we need. A kind that is certain. A certain faith. See, Luke says not just that we need to know more, not just that we need to do more, but he says the reason I'm writing this book to you the lo- which ends up being the longest book in the, in the go- of the Gospels. He says, the reason I'm writing this to you is so you would have a certain faith, that you would know the certainty of the things that you have been 
instructed. See, the kind of faith that we need is a certain faith. And what that word means, that, that word certainty, it means a secure or a safe faith. If you think about certainty, usually we think about security. If you say, I'm sure, would be another synonym to say, I'm sure or I'm secure in this belief. This is a belief I have that's not kind of floating out there. It's something that has been secured, that I am certain of it. We want certainty. If you think about even just when you're a kid, like all the way back when we were kids, we wanted certainty. We would do things like pinky promise, right? Do you, kids, I don't usually hear adults saying, do you swear? Do you swear? Do you promise? But kids do that. They want certainty. Some weird kid invented cross your heart, hope to die, stick a thousand needles in your eye, you know? Like kids want certainty that they're like, I will stick a thousand needles if you're lying to me, you know? So we want certainty. We start that way as little kids. And then as adults, we have contracts, right? We have vows that we make to each other in marriage. We, we sign everything, whether it's our cell phone or our lease or our mortgage or our receipts at Starbucks. We sign things to say, I, this is me. I guarantee this latte belongs. You know, like we, we want to be certain. We want a certainty. Or even just if you think about a lock on your door. And maybe some of you have had your house broken into in the past, but that's not, a, I mean, you, you may have had that happen. I know when I was a kid, we had that happen, but that's not a common experience. And so when you lock your door at night, it's not because as soon as you lock the door, you hear it wiggling and someone going, ah, dang it, they locked it again. But it's because you just want to be certain. It's the lock is more of a, you believe you're safe. You believe that probably no one's gonna break in tonight. You believe that, but, you want to be certain. You just want to be sure. You want to be secure. You want to be safe. Here's what certainty is. Certainty is taking your beliefs, taking your beliefs that you already have and increasing them. Taking your beliefs and, if you want another way to think about it, taking your beliefs and experiencing them. You see, for some of you, if the door is locked, all of a sudden, you already thought you were safe, but now you experience the safety. You already believe that that person's going to be with you till death do us part, but the ceremony and the vows made, there's a, it takes a belief that you have and makes it certain. It makes it secure. It makes it locked in. That is what certainty is. It's a belief that you can rely on confidently. It's a belief that you can rest in. That's what certainty is. And faith is the same way. You see, what he says to Theophilus is that you have already been taught this. He says to Theophilus, I want, to, I want you to be certain about the things that you've already been instructed in. He's not saying you need new information, you need new content. He says, listen, I want you to be certain, to be locked into, to experience the security and the safety of the beliefs that you already have. See, Theophilus had already been taught these things. Probably you have already been taught many of the things that we are going to talk about over this series or even today, that, or even just the graphic that we kind of put up of who God is. You've already been taught stuff. 
Maybe you're coming back to church after a long time and you're really not sure, should I really be back? I've kind of already learned these things. Or maybe you've even been at True Life. We're celebrating six years and maybe you've been here for six years and you're like, I've kind of already been taught things. And he says, yeah, what you need is a faith that's not necessarily new information, but you need certainty. Because he had already been taught the things, but progress, progress in faith and the kind of faith we need is not more. It's not more, but belief. Belief is not enough if we just mean that we assent to it, we agree with it. Belief is not enough. What, what we want, what Luke wants for Theophilus, what I want for you, what Luke wants for us is not just belief, but moving from knowing it to experiencing it. Moving from agreeing with it to it being locked in, to it being something that I rest in and am confidently relying on. Some of you have had this experience with faith already. I know I talk to many of you and you might have some sort of story of, hey, I grew up in the church and then whatever happened, and this happened, and then at some point in your life you say, and then it became my own, which is saying I had beliefs, I'd already been instructed in them, I'd already been taught them, but something happened where those beliefs all of a sudden became locked in. It became an experience instead of just an agreement. See, what Luke wants is that. Some of you have had that happen in suffering. That maybe you believe something about God. You believe God's a comforter. You believe God's a father. I know for me, when my parents were divorced, I knew God was a father, but I remember praying, saying, God, now I really need you to be my father in a way that I didn't, I already agreed with, but now I need that to be more experienced. Some of you have had that experience in your life where faith moved from knowledge to experience. It moved from agreement where you say, yeah, I agree with these things. It moved from agreement to embodiment, meaning it touches and affects everything. You're actually experiencing the truths. One of the ways I, I thought about this is a negative example. If you think about bitterness, bitterness happens like this. Somebody does something to you or you perceive that somebody does something to you. Somebody sins against you in an awful way or, or maybe it just feels like a slight or whatever it is. Something happens and you say, that was wrong. But here, that's not bitterness. That's just saying, man, that didn't feel good. But what happens with bitterness is that belief that that didn't feel good, that was wrong. Man, why do they gossip about me? Man, why do they say that about me? Man, why do they leave me out? Man, why did they uh, speak that way to me? What, whatever it is, you go, that was wrong. That's not bitterness yet. That's a belief. But bitterness happens when you start to dwell on that, when you start to think about that more and more in that truth of what they did to me was wrong, moves from just, I didn't like that, down to now it actually starts to overtake your life in a lot of ways. And you experience it more and more. It might cause deep anxiety. It might cause physical symptoms. It might cause depression. It might cause, I mean, all sorts of things where a belief about that wasn't good actually starts to move into a visceral, this is affecting all of me. Now, sorry to bring up such a negative example, but I think a lot of us probably have some experience of something like that. What Luke is saying is that's what he wants with faith. You've already believed these things. You've already heard about these things. You've already been taught these things, he says. You've already been taught them. You've already know them. I want you to be certain of them. I want them to lock in. 
I want them to move from just something you know to something you experience. This is the kind of faith that we need. So think about your life. Where is it that you want new beginning? Where do you want change? Where do you want to start fresh again? Where, where are you struggling right now that you say, I want to get to the other side of this? Where is it that life is painful right now? And you want to get to the other place of it. You want a faith that moves you beyond and you hope maybe that 2020 is the year for that. Where is that place? In that place of your life and in that place in each of our lives, that is the place that God wants to meet you. And that's the place that you need to experience him. The place where you want more is where you want to experience him. And Luke, in this opening passage, he doesn't say what the things are that he wants Theophilus and us to be certain of. He says, I'm writing so that you would be certain of the things that you've been instructed. He doesn't spell out, and I'm, I'm talking about this, 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 and this. But what he says in the beginning is that he's writing about the events that have been fulfilled. Not, listen, not just the events that happened. He's not just recounting, here's what happened, but the events that have been fulfilled. And that word fulfillment is talking about the Old Testament, God's scripture written to his people before Jesus came, and promises that were made. Promises that were made to say, God is going to come one day. You will be rescued. You will be saved. There's beautiful things that God is going to do. And what Luke is saying is, those things have now been fulfilled, which means... The things that I want you to be certain of, the things I want you to be locked into, the things I want you to experience are all those things that were promised that now, yes, they have happened. They have been fulfilled. And Luke will go on in just the very next chapter, or the very next few verses, same chapter, to talk about those things using that fulfillment language. He will say that Jesus, because Jesus came, Jesus is the Savior. He will say, listen, I know that you've already been taught that Jesus is the Savior. I know that you've been taught that this has been fulfilled. I want you to experience that Jesus is Savior, that your sins can be forgiven, that a new life with God as King, that Jesus is King, that a new life with God as King. I know you've already been told that. I know you've already been taught that. I want you to experience what's been fulfilled, that Jesus is king, that God has set up his kingdom. I want you to experience it. That Jesus, this is, this is all just language that, that Luke uses in, in the next handful of verses, that, that Jesus is the satisfier, that we've got deep longing existential desire or need or crisis or, or wanting of more and that Jesus comes as the satisfier, that Jesus is light, that whatever darkness that you experience in your life or whatever darkness we experience in this world, Jesus is light breaking through and changing what is there, that Jesus is shepherd which means he's the one that comes near to his people and walks with them step by step to lead them. See, what he is saying is, I know you've already been taught these things, but I want you to be certain of the things that have been fulfilled, all the different parts and more that I just said of who Jesus is. He says, if you need one of those truths, you need one of those truths in your life. You want a fresh start? You want a new beginning? You want more in life? You want change in your work, your marriage, your family, your emotional health? You want progress and change? What you need is the things that have been fulfilled 
experienced. That's what he says that we need. And, and here's, here's one of the things I love. What, what this means is this is what God wants for you. That Luke would take time to write this inspired by the Holy Spirit means this is what God wants for you. God doesn't want you just to agree with truth about him. God doesn't want you just to look at the, the Google image thing and go, yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. He wants God, as a good God, wants you to experience that. He wants you to be locked into it. He wants the truth that you already believe about God as a comforter to be locked. He wants you to feel secure in it. He wants it to be an experience that you actually have. That's what God wants for us. This is the kind of faith we need, a certain faith, but it's not easy. A certain faith is actually hard to maintain, and maybe you even feel like at one point in your life you had it. Maybe you feel like you've been on the edge of it. Maybe it's been there. Maybe you've never had what I'm talking about, but either way, it's hard to get. It's hard to maintain. It's not an easy thing because many have faith in this room or in our world, and it wanes. It might start here, and then it goes here. Or it might go like this, right? We have faith, and it wanes. And as the faith wanes, the effects of it wane. As faith, as faith becomes less certain, the experience of it, or the benefits of it, become less felt and less realized. I mean, one of the ways to just think about this is if you ask yourself when you look at your life, what really is most real to you? I could use a lot of examples of this, but what's most real to you? Let's maybe just do a couple. What's most real? Is it God is in control or is it the hard stuff that you're facing in life? What's more real? You believe, of course you believe if you're a Christian, that God's king, that God's in control, but what's more real to you? that God is in control, ruling for your good, or the fears, the anxieties, the worries. Sometimes you might not even, if you just mentally answer, you might say, yeah, it's more real, but sometimes you've got to look at your own body and just say, man, what does my body say I believe? As your body physically responds in anxiety or sick stomach or can't get thoughts out of your mind or we say, what is most real to me? Is it God's control or my fear, my worry, my anxiety? What's, what's more real to you? That God is good or the temptations and pleasures of life that are available to you? The temptations and pleasures of life that are, that are out there saying, look, this is awesome. You can have this. Or is it more? I'm not asking you what you believe. I'm saying what's more real that you actually experience in your life? the temptations, the pleasures of life, or God is good and he knows best. What's more real to you on a, on a day-to-day basis? See, it, whether you identify with either of those or not, you can at least put your mind in the fact that we know that there's truths that we go, of course I agree with that, and that yet we don't actually, we don't actually live into. It's not as real. And so why is it hard to maintain? Why is it? Let me give you two, two reasons. I think there can be a lot, but there's at least a couple that we can pull out from Luke. One, one reason that, that a certain faith is hard to keep or get in the first place is because life is difficult. 
I know that's simple, but life is difficult. What he says here is that he's writing to him about things that the original eyewitnesses, so the apostles of Jesus that were with him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all those people, or sorry, not Matthew, that's the Gospels, Matthew, all those people, John, James, okay, Thaddeus, whatever. So <laughs> whatever, you were just an apostle, okay? Those original eyewitnesses that were there, he says, they handed it down to us. Now, here's what that means. The person he's writing to, Theophilus, is in the same place that we are. He wasn't there. He's second generation. We're third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, you know, hundredth generation. But he says, the original eyewitnesses, the, the, the close friends of Jesus, the apostles that saw everything and were a part of everything, and they saw him rise from the dead. They were a part of all of that. Isn't that awesome? They handed stuff down to us. And so here's what that means. Life had gotten more difficult. Life at this point when this is written, 80, 70, or somewhere around there, the church is now being persecuted, both from, from two sides, from the Roman Empire, not sure that they like these people that are not, not having allegiance to not having allegiance to Caesar and saying that Caesar is Lord, instead they're saying that Jesus is Lord, from the Jewish community that they had been a part of, but now have become their own thing, kicking them out of the synagogues, removing them. There's families now that are torn apart. There's friends that are torn apart. They are now in a very difficult place where all of the original eyewitnesses are eventually going to be martyred or persecuted severely. And the church is feeling the effects and the weight of that also. Life was difficult. It wasn't easy for these people. And they weren't there. See, sometimes we can marvel at the apostles' faith and be like, yeah, they, Peter, Peter, I don't, you know, I don't know how many of these stories you know, but Peter, church history tells us, was crucified upside down. Because he was, he was persecuted and then eventually crucified by the Roman emperor Nero. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. Crucify me upside down. And we can look at that and go, oh, that's so awesome. That's inspiring. But these people, they weren't even there. Like when you were there and you were a part of something, it's easier to have a strong and certain faith. But Theophilus is like us. He's like us where it's, we're, we're just receiving things that were handed down to us. We're receiving things that, that we're believing based on their testimony. Not because we actually observed it. And see, one of the reasons that a certain faith is hard to maintain is because life gets difficult. Life gets, and that's true then, but it's true for us too. Life gets difficult. Life gets hard to, to maintain faith when people are rejecting you or you are being ostracized or you are being outcast for your beliefs, which is what happened to them, by family, by friends, by workplaces. It's hard to then maintain a certain faith. It's easier to put our faith down a little bit to maybe say, maybe I shouldn't be so extreme. Maybe I shouldn't. That's what's easier to do. It's hard to maintain a certain faith when life is difficult and there's pressures of pressures socially or, or pressures even just of, man, it's hard to stay the, the, a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. It's hard to actually say, I want to live my life by Jesus when the world around us is very different. That's what they faced. And they weren't even there. It was handed down to them by the original eyewitnesses, which they are not a part of. So one of the reasons that a certain faith is hard to maintain is because of difficulty, but secondly, it's familiarity. 
And I already mentioned this, but what he says is he's writing to him about things about which you have been instructed. These are not new things. You've already been taught these things. You've already been, and I'm going to write to you about things about which you've already been taught. Some of you may feel that way. You come to church and go, I already know this. I've already learned this. I think one of the most dangerous things, even more than the difficulty in our life, is the familiarity in our life. I think one of the most dangerous things to our faith is not necessarily hostility from the outside, but it's apathy inside. There's a saying, right, that familiarity breeds contempt. Meaning the more that you're around something, the more that you can kind of be like, eh. It's kind of like a vaccine. What does a vaccine do? It gives you a little bit of malaria so that you can resist all malaria. Or it gives you a little bit of the flu so you can resist all the flu. That's a non-medical you know, summary, but it's basically like that, I'm pretty sure, from Wikipedia. Okay, so... <laughs> That's what a vaccine does. It gives you a little bit of something to build your immune system's tolerance to it. But can't faith be like that? Can't we have just enough Jesus to go, yeah, I got it. Just enough belief to go, yeah, I know God's in control. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, 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 I got it. Can't we have just enough of something to then go, I kind of already have that, and yet life is still hard, so that means if I've already got that, and yet right now life is hard, I need something else. A little bit of something sometimes is very dangerous because we can think we've already been there, done that, bought the t-shirt or whatever. I know that whenever I watch a movie, if it's a true story, it, a two-hour movie, two movie takes me usually three hours to watch because there's two hours of watching the movie and then an hour of research afterwards to look up. We would just watch this Van Gogh movie and like, oh, Van Gogh, I want to learn about Van Gogh. So go on Wikipedia and read about Van Gogh and all these things about Van Gogh. And here's what, I, I got just enough Van Gogh to go, yeah, I get, I get it. I get Van Gogh, three hours, got it. And I bet if I met a Van Gogh expert tomorrow, And they were like, oh, you watched Van Gogh? Let me tell you about Van Gogh. I would be like, okay, yeah, yeah, I got it. Not because I'm proud and think I know more than him, but because I don't care. I've got enough Van Gogh to satisfy me for the rest of my life. It's fine now. So I think I've kind of already done the Van Gogh thing or whatever true story movie. Dunkirk, got it, been there, done that, whatever. Braveheart, yeah, I understand the Scottish rebellion and whatever or Scottish independence, that was a very English opinion, the Scottish rebellion, (laughs) whatever, okay? Um, So I've already got it. That, that is what faith can be like, though, can it? Haven't you already heard Bible stories? Haven't you, don't you already know a bunch of, I mean, that little infographic thing? Can't, Can't you already go, yeah, I knew that, knew that, knew that, knew that, knew that. And what that means is this. One of the most dangerous things to our faith And that Theophilus could have said, wait a minute, you're going to write me about things I've already been taught? I don't need this gospel. See, one of the most dangerous things to our faith is familiarity. It is we think we've already got it. And here, listen, let me speak, and I'm not trying to be arrogant now, but let me speak as an expert. I have read the Bible multiple times. I have multiple theology ministry degrees. I read tons and tons and tons of books. And let me tell you this, I don't need more information. 
I need the stuff that I already know. Like in my life, what I, when, what I struggle with is not saying I need some new truth about God. I, I know the truth that's out there about God. I know it. I've studied it. I get it. I know who God is. That doesn't mean that when life is hard that I don't need those truths. When life is hard, when things that I face, when the pressures that I have, when stuff in my heart is weak and frail, I need the stuff I've already been instructed about. Not something new. I need to remember again that God is comforter, that God is love, that God is gracious, that God's in control, that he's my shepherd. Those are the things I need. Not some new book. I I need what I've already been instructed of. Familiarity is the thing that can be most dangerous, I believe, to our soul. What I love, what I love about this little intro that Luke gives to us, addressing both difficulty of not being there as an original eyewitness and knowing that life is hard now for you, Theophilus, and familiarity, I know you've already been taught this. What I love is that God, what that means, that that's put in here, is God sees that in our lives. God doesn't look at someone like Theophilus or someone like us that says, I've already been instructed and I wasn't there. He doesn't look at someone like us and say, come on, why don't you just believe? He says, I know you need help. I see. I see that you've been taught this and it's still hard. I see that you've been instructed and you've been faithful and you've learned and you're still struggling. That is God's heart towards us. That he says, I know I see and I care. I know that you already know this is a sin. I know you're still struggling. I know that life is hard once again. And I see and I care and I want to speak into that. That's what the beginning of Luke tells us. That God sees the stuff that we are in. The difficulty, the familiarity, and doesn't say, why don't you already have this down? He says, yeah, you need a new beginning once again. And I'm happy to give it to you. I'm happy to meet you right there. I know that sometimes, for some of us in particular, that we can feel like, man, I'm so stupid. I should already know this. I should already have this down. Man, haven't I already learned my lesson? I know that for some of you, you feel like that. What Luke tells us is that God looks at you and says, no, I know you need help again. I know you need a fresh start again. I know you've already been taught and you need more again. I get it. I love that that's God's heart towards us, towards you as you look at a new beginning and maybe even cynical because you thought you had a new beginning in 2019 and you thought you had one in 2018 and 2020 and here we go again, new beginning. God says, yeah, it's okay. Let's go. Step by step with me. There is a fresh start that we can have. Finally, it can be hard to maintain a certain faith because of familiarity and difficulty. So how do we actually get it? How do we get a certain faith? Maybe you think it just comes in time. Sometimes people think that, man, when I, I just need to get older and eventually this will just kind of settle in. Sometimes we think someone else needs to kind of do it for us. We, have, we want a better faith and we, we think, man, someone else needs to do this to me. Or you might think you need some dramatic event in your life to shake you up and, and all of those things might help. But normally... Normally what we need with the regular rhythms of life and what Luke says that we need normally to get a certain faith, what we need is the Bible. 
What we need is his word spoken to us. This is what he says. He says, I've carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you, this book, Luke, to write to you so that you'd have a certain faith. He says, listen, I want you to have a certain faith. I want you to be locked in. I want you to be secure in the things you've been taught. And Theophilus might say, okay, so how do I get that, Luke? I want that. Life is hard. Yeah, I'm kind of apathetic and familiar with things that have already happened. So how do I get it? And he doesn't say, here's this magic potion or here's this kind of experience that you need or come with me on a pilgrimage to wherever. He he doesn't say that. He says, you know what you need? I'm going to write to you. I'm going to write to you about Jesus. I'm going to write to you about Jesus. See, listen, many people, and I don't know everybody in this room or kind of where you're at or what you bring in here. I imagine there's kind of difference of opinions. Many people can think that the Bible or even the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the books that tell us the stories about Jesus, many can think that those are legends, myths. And Luke himself is addressing Theophilus, which by his name, and he calls him most excellent Theophilus, what what commentators and scholars will tell you is he was probably a very well-cultured, educated, wealthy person. He's He's not just kind of some schmucky person. He's kind of an intellectual, maybe even in the Roman court. He's an intellectual person that is being written to, and he says, listen, I know you might have some doubts. I know you might not be sure about these things because you weren't there. And so I want to write to you in such a way that you see this is from eyewitnesses. This is from people that were there. This is from people that experienced these things. And listen, when you read Luke, and I can't spend you know, two hours giving you a lecture on the reliability of the Gospels. There's books out there that I would encourage you to read and be happy to give recommendations. But what I can tell you this is when you read it, it doesn't read like Star Wars. It doesn't read like in a galaxy far, far away, long time ago. It reads saying in the days of this specific king, which history can trace back and say, yeah, that was an actual king. In the days of this king, with this Roman ruler, and history can trace back and say, yep, that governor, Quirinius, was an actual you know, governor. And, and it, it's written like history. It's not written in a fantasy way. Or even if you look at ancient literature, it's not written from your school days. It's not written like the Odyssey or, or the Iliad. It's not written like Greek mythology. It's written to say, let me tell you about the people I interviewed. Let me tell you about the events that took place and the years they took place and the things that happened. It's written like eyewitness account. And Luke is saying, you know what you need to get a certain faith, a more secure faith, a more locked in, experienced faith where all the truth about Jesus that has been fulfilled actually becomes real to your hearts? You know what you need? You need to hear it once again. You need to read it once again. And and listen, what what he writes to him, what he writes to him is not just a list of teaching. He says, I'm writing these things to you, but he doesn't just give him a list of teaching of Jesus or a list of commands. What is he giving him? He's giving him the story of Jesus. He's bringing him in to say, you know what you need, really? It's to be with Jesus. You know what you need? Let me tell you the story of this amazing person once again. Let me bring you into his life, 
and you can see who he was and you can see what he did and you can see how he interacted with people and how he loved people and how he spoke to people and how he embodies all the truth about God that we were hoping would be fulfilled as shepherd, as protector, as father, as comforter, as, as, as savior. Let me show you the story of who he is. Come see, come be with Jesus once again. That, see, that's what we need. You want to have a certain faith, and by which I don't mean one that you are just 100% is true, that's great, but I mean what he means, which is a locked in, a secure, an experienced faith. Want to have that? He says, come see again who Jesus is. Come be with Jesus, and in that, him being with you. See, we want more in life. We want progress. We want new beginnings. We want fresh starts. We want change. That's what we want in whatever area of our life it's in. How do we get it? The way we get it, whether you're just starting out or whether you've been here a long time and feel like you need that fresh start, is being with him. Imagine all you know about God, whether it's from there or just things that you know. Imagine all you know about God, about Jesus dropping a level deeper. Imagine all you know about God not staying here on Sunday, but affecting all the different parts of your life. That's what Luke says he wants for us. And the way we have it is him bringing us into the story of Jesus. So here's what this means. Just two quick application points for you. First is, maybe for some of you, that means you need to explore Jesus once again. So maybe you're not a Christian, maybe you're not sure what you believe, and, and, or maybe you are a Christian and you are sure in some ways of what you believe, but you need to actually do what Luke is saying he did, which is to go and investigate and see the things. Maybe you're not sure that these are true. Maybe you do need to read a book, deepening your faith in a way of just a confidence that this is actually what happened. And so I would encourage, for some of you, maybe what you need, maybe today just the application for you is just to say, I need to explore do I, do I really believe this? And second, I think for many of us, the application point is simply this. Luke doesn't give a bunch of things, I mean, he doesn't give any commands of what to do in this passage. But here's the application for many of us, is just to pray. To pray. Because we want more in life, we want progress in life, we want new beginnings, but a lot of times, we don't think it's, you know what I need? I need to be more sure of what I've already been taught. We think we need other things. We think we need different things. And maybe the point for us today is just to get this. God has more for you. It is available for you. And maybe our application is just to pray and say, God, I want that. I want to be more certain of the things I already know. Make more real to me the things I've already been taught. And to, that's faith is actually to turn to him for what we are wanting. More in life, progress, new beginning. To say, I want you. Let me start there. Let me not move on from you thinking I need something else. That might be an act of repentance for some of us. That might be just an act of prayer and trust and asking God to do something in our life. So let's commit not to stay where we are, Let's commit not to stay where we are, but to move forward with Jesus. We're going to take communion in, in just a second. And, and communion is something that Jesus gave to us 
before he left. He said, my body broken and my blood shed. This represents that your sins are forgiven, that your sins are forgiven and that you can have life with Jesus. That the old you can be gone and a new you can begin. But here is what is beautiful, just like Luke is saying. This is an experiential thing he gave to us. We don't just come up here and read something. He said, I want you not to just have faith, but to experience it. And communion is a metaphor or like the whole Christian life. God wants us to experience, to taste his body broken and bloodshed. He wants you to feel it, to experience it so that it affects all of you. And so even as you come and take communion, understand that what he wants is for you to eat it, to consume, to taste his goodness. We will pray, and then we will respond in a few songs, and then a big party. So I'm going to pray, and I'm actually going to, I'm going to pray for us, but then I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you kind of just some guided prayer, which means I'm, I'm going to, you know, don't do this if you don't want to do it, but I'm just going to say some words, maybe to give you some words for those of you that your application needs to be to respond in prayer. I'm going to kind of say some things and just leave some blanks for you to repeat after me, okay? So Father, I, I thank you that you love us, that you gave to us your son, Jesus, and that you gave to us preserved your word and a testimony of who you are, that we do have what the original eyewitnesses passed down to us so that we can also enter into your story and see who you are. God, I I want us as a church, and I know that this is your desire, and I pray that you would do this, that we would move from belief to experience, that we would have a certainty, a security of who you are. So God, I pray for my friends in this room, the people in this room that, that just need to explore, that you would give them the, the urgency and the initiative to move forward in that way. And then God, I pray for us that, that believe like Theophilus, that have been instructed, that have been taught things, but, but maybe it's become too familiar. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to move from just familiarity to real experience. And so I'm going to say some prayers, and for those of you that want to follow along with this, just you can pray this, lip it quietly or say it in your head or however you want to, but here's a prayer that you can just pray to God. Father, I pray that you would take everything I know, take everything I know about you, and move it from just knowledge to experience. God, take the things that I have been taught and make them more real to me than they have ever been. God, I pray that you would help me see you in my life. I don't want a faith that is a Sunday faith. I want a faith that touches every part of my life. God, help me to turn to you for the new beginning that I want. Forgive me for putting my trust of a new beginning in other things. Let me find my new start, my new beginning with you. In Jesus' name.